This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu. Promo code is Stu to save 10 bucks on your subscription. Great gift for the holidays for someone you like or maybe someone you don't. If you're watching on YouTube, like this video right now, uh, click follow, click the little bell, do all the things, and you can even watch the Power Hour. We're still kind of in recovery here from Friday night's Power Hour. Had a lot of fun, broke some things. It was it was a good time. Uh, so check it out. That's uh, available now on uh, YouTube, uh, as well as I believe on Blaze TV, if you're a subscriber. Uh, a government shutdown is possible this week. We'll get into that. Uh, we will also talk about China and Saudi Arabia coming up, but we're going to start by doing the Twitter files. And I, I don't know, I felt like we should do something a little different today when it comes to the show because the Twitter files have been going on now for, I don't know, a week or so. We've talked about them a little bit here and there. Haven't really gone super deep into it. And I thought, well, we could go through and do a bunch of analysis and kind of break down all of these things as we go. Or maybe it might just be worth it if you haven't taken the time to go through the actual releases from these journalists. Maybe we'll try to boil this down and just give you a picture of what's going on and do a little bit of reaction and, and, and analysis as we go. Because I think it's, you know, it's weird. Twitter is specifically designed to keep things short. But then we just discovered the Twitter thread and then things got long again. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's a bad sign that America can't stick around for a few different editions of the Twitter files. But I think like if you try to read the whole thing, you might get a little distracted. So I figured we'd go through some of this. Now, if you don't know the backstory, Elon Musk, of course, buys Twitter. He spends a lot of money. They have a back and forth. He gets control. And I don't know that we've ever seen this happen before in corporate history. The new guy buying the company seems to have one goal in mind, which is telling you the company is really bad, or at least has been in the past really bad. That's fun for me. I don't know that I'd spend $44 billion to tell you that frankly, uh, but I'm excited that Elon Musk is doing that. And uh, there's a lot to learn, really important stuff. What, have we ever seen this before? Have we ever seen a company release all of their internal emails and slacks to a bunch of journalists to pick through and let, let them write their own stories? As far as I understand, the only, the only qualification on this, the only um, uh, condition on releasing all this is that these journalists release this first on Twitter. So they tell their story through a Twitter thread, then they can write stories on their own and do interviews and everything else. Now, the three people that got, so far at least, have been involved in this are uh, Michael Schellenberger, who's you know friend of the show, been on the show a bunch of times, you probably remember him, talking about uh, the climate and talking about San Francisco and some of the progressive policies going on. Uh, again, he's a guy who was on the left and has you know, been turned off by a lot of the far left stuff. He's not a conservative per se. He's just somebody who kind of you know, calls it as he sees it. Uh, secondarily, Barry, Barry Weiss was the second uh, person. She is great. I love Barry Weiss and I love her podcast and her publication, which I think she just changed the name of from uh, Common Sense to Free Press. Something you should definitely check out. Again, someone who is not, not uh, scared of going into uncomfortable areas. She, I think, would consider herself, um, I don't know, moderate. I don't know. 
uh, but she is definitely does not like the woke stuff, does, likes to talk about some of the excesses uh, in the media. She was famously at the New York Times and quit the New York Times in sort of a public, I'm getting the hell out of here letter. And then Matt Taibbi, a former, I think, Rolling Stone journalist, if I, if I remember right, uh, he is kind of had, he's gone to Substack as well. He's got his own thing going on there. And uh, so he was the one who got the first batch of, of these files. All three of them sort of fit the same profile. People who are willing to take somewhat different stances than the typical media member, but don't fall into the hardcore right wing uh, conservative model by any means. In fact, you'd probably say at least mostly they've been left their whole lives and are trying to come at this pretty honestly. And I think it's been an interesting experiment. We've never really seen anything like it. So let me get into this. We'll start with uh, Twitter files number one. And I've tried to sort, sort these down from, I mean, some of them are 30 and 40 tweets to just the most important stuff that we can kind of talk about here as we go. Uh, Matt Taibbi, uh, his 10th tweet here, both parties had access to these tools. The tools he's talking about are basically tools that you could go in a portal and say, hey, I want this, this tweet taken down. I don't like I don't like this tweet. It's misinformation or it's something that we don't think is true. I want this tweet uh, part uh, taken down. So what he's saying in 2020, both parties had access to these tools. For instance, in 2020, requests from both the Trump White House and the Biden campaign were received and honored. However, this system was not balanced. It was based on contacts because Twitter was and is overwhelmingly staffed by people of one political orientation, obviously on the left. There were more channels, more ways to complain uh, that were open to the left or Democrats than the right. Now, to prove this, they go through the, the um, do total donations from Twitter, and they're as you'd expect. 2018, it was 96.4% to Democrats. 2020, it was 98.5% to Democrats. And in 2022, I mean, you think like, that's not really diverse, 98.5%. Well, they went even farther in 2022. 99.73% went to Democrats. So that's $165,000 to $451. God bless the person who's brave enough at Twitter. is like, I'm going to give $451 to a, a Republican candidate. And they, I don't know. I wonder if they got fired because it seems like that would be a fireable offense, basically, at Twitter at this point. Uh, the, the point there is that you know, you can go and you can have this portal, you can have these these ways to request it. But if you don't have a friendly audience, they're not going to do it. And so Republicans, a lot of times, submitted these claims and they just didn't get done or they didn't have a place to really submit them. Where Democrats had all sorts of contacts on the uh, throughout Twitter and were able to get stuff pulled down all the time. So it's important. And Elon Musk even said this. It was not even. You know, there's a lot of both sidesism you can do with a lot of these stories. And usually I think it's important to, to at least mention that, even when it's uneven, because there are dirtbags on the left and dirtbags on the right. However, it's also important to note that in this one, you know, if you want to judge by donations, 99.73% of the time it's going the other way. Doesn't excuse it when it goes uh, both ways, but still, this was basically a left-wing problem at Twitter. Um, uh, Matt Taibbi goes on, uh, says, uh, this note returned... The answer that the laptop story had been removed for violation of the company's hacked materials policy. We remember this pitch, we're talking about the Hunter Biden laptop now. We remember this pitch coming a lot from the media at the time. This was sort of their excuse. Well, 
we think the material material was hacked. Now, it's easy now to say, well, what are you talking about? It went to a computer repair shop and was just left there for months. At the time, that did sound relatively ridiculous. I, I will admit, hearing it for the first time, I assumed it was legitimate, but I did not assume that the story being told as to how they came across this laptop was definitely legitimate. It seemed to me to be pretty shady. Could Hunter Biden be, really be this oblivious that he would leave a laptop at a computer repair shop for months and months and months? The answer to that is yes. Crack is amazing. You are Once you, once you get into your system, you don't remember anything. So apparently uh, that's what happened with Hunter. Although several sources recalled hearing about a general warning from federal law enforcement that summer about possible foreign hacks, there's no evidence that I've seen, according to Matt Taibbi, of any government involvement in the laptop story. In fact, that might have been the problem. The decision was made at the highest levels of the company, but without the knowledge of CEO Jack Dorsey, with former head of legal policy and trust playing a key role. So this is kind of an again, this is Matt Taibbi's kind of on the left, uh, seeing this maybe a little bit differently than I would see it. Um, there was some reason to go to a social media company and say, hey, generally speaking, we expect uh, the Russian government uh, to be trying to manipulate our election. So keep your antenna up. You know, that's all. That's not a terrible thing for the government to be doing in this position. We do have foreign adversaries. They do try to do things like this. That does not mean censor all the posts that are good for Donald Trump. It does not mean, hey, Hunter Biden couldn't possibly have been taking all these porn pictures with prostitutes. That doesn't seem like that's in his character at all. You know, it's a big, big difference from in the jump from A to B is crucial here. They got these warnings, which is which are somewhat generally acceptable to get. Hey, just watch out for this stuff. And they turned it into what they wanted to turn it into. Um, so how do they do this? Because their policies are clear. How do you take down tweets? How do you ignore uh, the Hunter Biden story? How do you ban it from being, being even being shared, even among direct messages? These are messages that if you don't use Twitter, it's like a private, it's like your email, right, on Twitter. This, these are not things that are being broadcast to others. The direct messages were even edited uh, in this case, and, and un, you were unable to send them with the story about Hunter Biden's laptop. Taibbi goes on, they just freelanced it, is how one former employee characterized the decision. Hacking was the excuse, but within a few hours, pretty much everyone realized that wasn't going to hold. But no one had the guts to reverse it. So you have a... a an organization that's doing the bidding of the Biden campaign. They knew this was a problem. Now, I, and I can, unlike maybe some people, I can see how they would be skeptical at that story initially. That's no excuse, though. No excuse to, uh, to, to, even if you think it's wrong, you are not the news police. You are not the people who are supposed to come in and decipher whether a story is right or wrong. I can understand there being some skepticism inside of Twitter, especially among a bunch of liberals. Of course, they're going to think that their guy could do no wrong. This, their, you know, their guy's son is probably in the clear. This is an evil right wing plot. Remember, this came from Steve Bannon and, uh, and Rudy Giuliani at the time. They didn't believe anything those guys were saying. So I can understand the skepticism at some level, but it does not make it right what they actually did. So that kind of went through the Hunter Biden story with Matt Taibbi's uh, tweets in part number one of the Twitter files. Part number two went to Barry Weiss. Now, Barry Weiss kind of dug into more generally what was going on with conservatives in total. And she found uh, over and over and over again, conservatives and not even people who they're not even conservatives, just people who are generally skeptical of left wing narratives. Those people would get 
throttled. They would get suspended. They would get uh, they would get shadow banned. All these things that conservatives said were going on were going on. I mean, I know a lot of people in the cons- you know, and I don't live and die with Twitter. I don't live and die with social media. I don't look at my follower count ever. You know, I don't. That's not something that I do. But I know a lot of people really care about it to the point where they check it every day to see if they're going up or down. And they would notice that it was going down. They would notice that their tweets, you get you 500,000 followers, you make a good point, you expect it to kind of like get a little uh, response. And they'd notice, oh, I've got 16 likes. And it's like, well, how did 500,000 followers, how am I going to get 16 likes on a tweet? That doesn't seem possible. Well, it's possible if they're not letting anyone see the tweet. That's how it's possible. So Barry Weiss went into this and gave some examples. Take, for example, Stanford's Jay Bhattacharya, who argued that COVID lockdowns would harm children. He's a doctor. Uh, We've talked about uh, some of his work before. And he was, you know, he's highly qualified, just kind of stood in a different position as many than many others did in the uh, medical mainstream at the time. However, it's important to note that his opinion that COVID lockdowns would harm children has been proven completely right. right? Like, this is not like a controversial point now. I didn't think it was a controversial point then, though it was at some level among the mainstream media. Uh, Twitter secretly placed him on a trends blacklist, which prevented his tweets from trending. So he comes up with this great point. He, everyone's tweeting it like crazy. Everyone's talking about it. Still wouldn't show up in the Twitter trends area, which would give it, give it even more attention. Okay, fine. How about popular white right-wing talk show host Dan Bongino? He was slapped with a search blacklist. Now, Bongino is a guy who's taken a lot of positions, obviously, on the conservative side. He's taken some positions. He was very skeptical of the 2020 election results. Uh, he did stuff like that, which the left, of course, didn't like. However, a search blacklist, I guess, means you're searching for a tweet or even maybe even searching for his name and you're not, it's not going to pop up. Now, how does he possibly use this service if people can't find the stuff he's actually saying? Uh, how about Charlie Kirk? Twitter set the account of conservative activist Charlie Kirk to do not amplify. Twitter has denied that it did these things. In 2018, their head of legal policy and trust and head of product said, quote, we do not shadow ban. They added, and we certainly don't shadow ban based on political viewpoints or ideology. Well, that's not what their CEO and their owner is saying right now. Elon Musk has specifically said it was targeted at conservatives and not at liberals. This is important. Now, look, it's a private company. Twitter can censor people uh, however they please at some level. And I know a lot of people like to do the whole public uh, forum. Uh, this is the public square thing. Look, I, I don't want I don't want the government to acknowledge that private companies are in the public square because the second they do that, they start taking them over and doing all sorts of crazy nonsense to them. I know I'm not necessarily in the mainstream of conservatism on that point uh, at the moment, but Twitter. Look, if if Twitter is this important to you, your life priorities need to be changed a little bit. That being said, it is an important tool. It is something that does affect politics. It does move people. We've seen basically the entire BLM movement be built on its back. They're letting the left do this and not the right. Now, if you wanted to start your own social media company and you wanted to say, look, I'm only going to amplify conservative accounts, you should be able to do that, I think. You should be able to go through that process and and do it. I, I don't think you'll get a lot of people who really like your site all that much because... People usually want that debate. They're there to see that debate. But Twitter decided to do this. Now, the problem with Twitter, and this is an asterisk on what I'm saying, they should be able to do that. However, 
They should not be able to do that and say they're doing the opposite. And that's why this this particular tweet from Barry Weiss is so important. How they lied to people about it, how they said they were not doing it, how even in congressional testimony, they're kind of on record lying about this. Uh, Barry Weiss goes on what many people call shadow banning Twitter executives and employees called visibility filtering. If that's not Orwellian, I don't know what is or VF multiple high level sources confirmed its meaning. But there existed a level beyond this sort of visibility filtering. They would go through an official ticketing process to get that part of it done. There was a level beyond official ticketing, beyond the rank and file moderators following the company's policy on paper. That is the site integrity policy, comma, policy escalation support known as SIP-PES in the least catchy and memorable acronym of all time. SIPES. It's SIPES, guys. Get past the bureaucracy and the sort of nonsense here of all the different committees and councils and all this. Basically, they had a bunch of moderators who looked at the legalistic policy that they said to everyone they were utilizing. Hey, you can't do this. You can't put child porn up there. You can't put uh, threats up there. You can't do all these things. Uh, And if you do that, you'll get your stuff pulled down. But they said, well, wait, what happens when the conservative tweets pop up that don't break those rules? But we still want them down. What do we do then? Steps in here, S-I-P-P-E-S, this group that would be able to essentially figure it out on their own. If it didn't fit the policy, they would try to find a way to fit the policy. If they couldn't find a way to fit the policy, they disregard the policy and they would make conservatives go away. One of the accounts that rose to this level of scrutiny was the very famous Libs of TikTok account, an account that was on the trends blacklist and was designated as do not take action on user without consulting SIP PES, this sort of overlord group. I should point out that with all of these, there's screenshots of this. This is not something she's guessing at. She's not getting at reporting third hand information from some employee. This is Barry Weiss looking at the screenshot and reporting what the screenshot says getting additional uh, uh, contacts from employees, but really going through this and seeing, okay, this was happening. I can see it with my own eyes. In an internal SIP PES memo from October 2022, after Libs of TikTok and their seventh suspension, the committee acknowledged that LTT, Libs of TikTok, has not directly engaged in behavior violative of the hateful conduct policy. Hmm. Now, I can show you the policy thing here real quick. A site policy recommendation. Site policy recommends placing libs of TikTok uh, in a seven-day timeout at the account level, um, meaning not for a specific tweet based on the account's continued pattern of indirectly violating Twitter's hateful conduct policy by tweeting content that either leads to or intends to incite harassment against individuals and institutions that support LGBTQ, no QIA2 plus included for whatever hateful reason, um, communities. At this time, site policy has not found explicit, explicitly violative tweets, which would result in a permanent suspension of the account. This type of enforcement action will not lead to payment or permanent suspension. However, should libs of TikTok engage in any other direct level violations of any site policy policies, we will move forward with a permanent suspension. Uh, since its most recent timeout, while LTT has not directly engaged in behavior violative of the hateful conduct policy, the user has continued targeting individuals, allies, and supporters of the LGBTQIA2 community, leaving out one of the Qs and the two 
for whatever hateful reason, for alleged misconduct, the targeting of at least one of these institutions, blah, blah, blah. So it goes on. The point, though, is that they knew Libs of TikTok was not breaking these rules. Libs of TikTok is just posting other public posts. That's what they do uh, as an account. They say, hey, here's someone on TikTok, a liberal, saying something crazy. Let's laugh at it for a second. Let's highlight the absurdity of this. And that's it. Well, the left doesn't like that because the way you dismantle the left is by showing what they actually say and do and mean and want. So they hate Libs of TikTok for that reason. Barry West continues, in internal Slack messages, Twitter employees spoke of using technicalities to restrict the, the uh, visibility of tweets and subjects. Here's Yoel Roth, Twitter's then global head of trust and safety, in a direct message to a colleague in early 2021. Says a lot of times, uh, SI has used technicality spam enforcements as a way to solve the problem created by safety under enforcing their policies, which again isn't a problem per se, but it keeps us from addressing the root cause of the issue, which is that our safety policies need some attention. In other words, we keep finding these tweets that we want gone, but they don't violate the safety policies. This isn't a problem with us. This is a problem with the safety policies. This is the way they see the world. Six days later, in a direct message with an employee of the Health Misinformation, Privacy and Identity Research Team. Good God, these organizations drive me crazy. Roth requested more research to support expanding non-removal policy interventions like disabling engagements and de-amplification or visibility filtering. Now, Yoel Roth, this, this guy who's really at the center of a lot of this stuff, he said this, one of the biggest areas I'd love research support on is the non-removal policy interventions like disabling engagements and de-amplification visibility filtering. The hypothesis underlying much of what we've implemented is that exposure to misinformation directly causes harm. We should then use remediations that reduce exposure and limiting the spread or virality of content is a good way to do that by just reducing pre prevalence overall. We got Jack on board with implementing this for civic integrity in the near term, but we're going to need to make a more robust case to get this into our repertoire of policy remediations, especially for other policy domains. So I love research's POV on that. This is an interesting part. I mean, it does seem like Jack at times, the actual uh, founder of Twitter, pushed back against some of this stuff. But the, the, he had hired tons and tons of people who did not, in fact, who pushed it harder and harder and harder. That's just the first two pieces of the Twitter files. I want to take a break, come back on the other side, and we'll give you more. In fact, today there's a brand new edition here of the Twitter files, part five. So we're going to go through the second half of what we have so far, parts three, four, and five here in just a minute. So the red wave didn't really didn't really materialize. It, well, maybe it got too cold. It got in the winter. Maybe the red wave froze. The red popsicle kind of showed up, and that wasn't as fun. So what happens? Do we get a more emboldened Biden? Do we get more wasteful government spending, higher taxes? Uh, how will you protect your hard-earned savings from the reinvigorated left? The answer, of course, is gold. Gold is the world's oldest, most proven form of currency. It's there when inflation soars, when other assets go sideways. And that's why Birch Gold is so thrilled to announce a new product that reimagines gold as currency. It's called the Goldback. This month, uh, you'll get a free Goldback for every $5,000 you purchase when you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a precious metals IRA 
with Birch Gold by December 22nd. So you got to act quickly on this. Birch Gold will help you own gold and silver in a tax-sheltered account. You can text STU, uh, text STU to 989898. Text STU to 989898. Get your free info kit on gold. And then talk to one of their precious metals specialists to see if it's right for you. Plus, with every purchase you make before December 22nd, you'll get a free gold back. This is a great stocking stuffer just in time for Christmas. Once again, you just got to text STU, my name's STU, to 989898. You protect your savings with gold from, uh, from Birch Gold. When you text STU to 989898, it's Birch Gold. All right, I wanted to take today and kind of bring you through all the Twitter files that we have so far. There's a new addition today from Barry Weiss. We'll get to that here in uh, just a second. This is sort of like Avatar. They're all really long, and there's too many of them. But it's important information, unlike Avatar. So whatever you do, by the way, don't go see Avatar. Okay, so uh, Matt Taibbi back with part three of the Twitter files. He says, as soon as they finished banning Trump, Twitter execs started processing new power. They prepared to ban future presidencies, uh, presidencies, presidents and White Houses, uh, perhaps even Joe Biden. The new administration says one exec will not be suspended by Twitter unless absolutely necessary. Now, again, they want to use this power on everybody. They just always seem to use it on right wing figures. Twitter executives removed Trump in part over what one executive called the context surrounding actions by Trump and supporters over the course of the election and, frankly, the last four plus years. In the end, they look at the broad picture and that approach can cut both ways. So there was this idea that eventually this was their power to execute. And once you break the policy, once you make that decision to cross the line and say, okay, we have a policy, but screw that policy. Let's do what we really want to do, what we have to do, what we must do, what we're getting pressured to do. That's when you really start going down this darker road. He says, going back and examining the entire election enforcement slack, we didn't see one reference to moderation requests from the Trump campaign, the Trump White House, or Republicans generally. We looked. They may exist. We were told they do. However, they were absent here. Hmm. So we were told this goes both ways, but maybe it doesn't. In the docs, execs often expand criteria to subjective issues like intent. Yes, a video is authentic, but why was it shown? Orientation, was it a banned tweet to condemn or support? Or reception, um, uh, did a joke cause confusion? This reflex will become key in January 6th. That's a lot of things they were doing. They were trying to judge these things and read people's mind, right? It's the intent of the voter, if you remember the 2000 election. How, what did they mean when the chad was dimpled? Did that mean they wanted to press that chad, or did that not mean that they wanted to press that chad? Very, very uh, difficult to, of course, do that. And typically what they seem to find over and over again were the people on the right, the people they didn't like, they said, yes, they had bad intent. The people they did like had good intent. And this is easy. You can make lots of decisions this way. If you're not really going to look at this stuff, it, it makes it a, a, a quite a simple process. Uh, the significance uh, shows that Twitter, in 2020 at least, was deploying a vast range of visible and invisible tools to rein in Trump's engagement long before January 6th. The ban will come after other avenues are exhausted. So they tried to do all these things. They tried the shadow banning. And it's important to stop there and think about this for a second. This is something conservatives whined about all the time. They said, we're being shadow banned. We're being throttled. What is going on? Why aren't we getting the same treatment as everybody else? And Twitter continually came back and said, you're dreaming this up. This is a, this is a, you're having visions. None of this stuff is happening to you. Stop whining. 
Now, of course, this does happen. Sometimes conservatives say things that are being banned or throttled, and it's not necessarily true. We've found lots of examples so far. There are many, many more. But the point here is that all this stuff that conservatives were saying the entire time was just, you know, happening. Like, it was really going on. Now, we knew it was going on, or at least we felt it was going on, but never did we think we'd see all of the evidence that has come out just so far. I'm talking about screenshots of the shadow bans in process after they denied it, in some cases, to Congress. This is not supposed to happen. And this is why this is such an incredible development. Forget Twitter as a thing, because I think a lot of people are like, I don't care about Twitter. Just think about this as a corporate story for a second. Think about it as a story for the, for the Wall Street Journal. All of these company documents coming out at the same time, they get to pick and look through all the intent of all these high-ranking executives on a controversial topic of the day, and yet no one cares. No one in the mainstream media is running any stories about it. The Sunday shows all came and went with the exception of Fox News without even addressing it. This would never happen if this looked good for the left. It would never happen like this. I can tell you, if these were oil company emails and slacks coming out, I could be, you could be damn sure that every one of these places would be talking about it constantly, going over every single thing that they did wrong. Look back at what they did with Enron. They went through every single email, literally released every email to the public. This is what happens. All right, so Michael Schellenberger, who's been on the program many times, he uh, got uh, number four in the Twitter files. And he gives you some of the context. As context, it's important to understand that Twitter's staff and senior execs are overwhelmingly progressive. We went over that up to 99% of the time. On January 8th, so we're now past January 6th, Twitter says its ban on Trump is based on specifically on how Trump's tweets are being received and interpreted. But in 2019, Twitter said it did not attempt to determine all potential interpretations of the content or its intent. So instead of saying, okay, Trump didn't, actually tweet anything wrong, but we're worried about how people might take it, so therefore we're going to punish Trump for how other people are taking it. I mean, that's a completely unfair standard on anybody. That should never be the standard. It shouldn't be the standard on the left when, you know, if the, if the left says something, somebody on the left says something, and someone does something crazy based on it, it's not that person's fault. The same thing should apply to Trump and everybody else. That's normal. If you want to, you should be able to come out and say your piece and have your opinions, and if some people do crazy things based on them, that is not your legal responsibility. You should be not being banned off of Twitter for that. Michael Schellenberger goes on. He says, the only serious concern we found expressed within Twitter over the implications for free speech and democracy of banning Trump came from a, like, one junior person in the organization. It was tucked away in a lower level Slack channel known as Site Integrity Auto. And here's, the, here's what this one person said. This might be an unpopular opinion, but... One-off ad hoc decisions like this that don't appear rooted in policy are, in my humble opinion, a slippery slope and reflect an alternatively equally dictatorial problem. This now appears to be a fiat by an online platform CEO with a global presence that can gatekeep speech for the entire world, which seems unsustainable. That is about the most controlled and limited criticism I can possibly come up with over this, but this is the only piece of pushback they could find anywhere in the Twitter files. Think about this. One employee, one junior level person was like, hey, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't just ban the president of the United States from Twitter. I don't know. 
Um, today, number five came out, and I'll give you a couple of highlights of that as well. Barry Weiss had this version. You can read all of these, by the way, uh, on Twitter, of course. I believe most of these people have started writing substacks and more with more detail of this, but the only condition, as we mentioned, is that they release it on Twitter first. So that's how these things came out. Um, the Twitter staff assigned to evaluate tweets quickly concluded that Trump had not violated Twitter's policies. Think about this. We've been told by the media constantly that this was obviously true, that obviously Trump had violated these policies. Yet Twitter themselves didn't believe he violated the policies. It's important. This is when he came out on, he, he got suspended, came back out on January 8th, I think it was, and said, hey, I'm not going to go to the inauguration. It was stuff like that. Basic stuff like he was back to kind of tweeting normally uh, after uh, the, the, the chaos of January 6th went by. And they still wanted to throw him off uh, of that. Twitter, um, uh, he, the quote was, I think we'd have a hard time saying this is incitement, wrote one staffer. But uh, Twitter executives did ban Trump, even though key staffers said that Trump had not incited violence. This is all, she's got all the receipts on this, by the way. And she, in fact, they even acknowledge when they're going through all these chats that it didn't even happen in a coded way. It wasn't like he was saying, um, you know, something that, that was supposed to meant it was meant to elicit some sort of reaction. This is one of the central accusations of the January 6th commission, that a lot of the things that Trump said, while not technically inciting violence, uh, were coded, coded messages to his followers that they could detect. And that means they had to go here, there and everywhere and do all sorts of violent things. Well, not only was that not true, obviously, Twitter knew it wasn't true. They talked about it internally, but they just kept ramping it up anyway. One hour later, Twitter announced Trump's permanent suspension due to, quote, the risk of further incitement of violence outside the United States. Twitter's decision to ban Trump raised alarms, including with French President Emmanuel Macron, German President, uh, Prime Minister Angela Merkel, and Mexico's President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, which is a pretty cool name when you think about it. I guess the point of all this is all the stuff that we were saying this whole time was true. It was going on. You might not like it. You might like it. You might love it. If you're on the left, you might think it's the greatest thing of all time. But they knew when they banned Trump, they didn't have a justification to do it. They just did it anyway. Why would they do that? Why would they, you know, many times they, they would say these things publicly and they'd sound good. They'd say like, look, we want everyone to have a voice. We're not shadow banning. We're not doing these things. But they changed the policy. And at the beginning, through these emails and slacks, what you see is, is a group of people who are trying to find a way to justify these moves through their policy. Here's what our policy said. Can we fit it into this box? How do we do this? How do we? Maybe we should change our policies a little bit so it fits this thing we don't like. That was the early era. Once you get past, gets, gets, uh, get past January 6th, what you see is an organization that does not even care about their own policy. Look, this is too important. We have to do it. Part of the reason why this is going on is because people inside of Twitter are very liberal. But I, 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 I warn you not to stop there. Because if you just say, okay, Twitter's filled with a bunch of crazy liberals. They wanted Donald Trump off the platform. They want to stop all the conservative speech. So they're doing these things. There's something to that. They were willing to do these things largely because they did align politically. But that's, it's more than that. It's larger than that. It's the fact that publicly and privately, these employees inside of Twitter were getting immense pressure from government officials 
to do these things. And if you think about yourself as someone who's like, well, I kind of agree he should be banned, but I don't really see something in the policy that would allow it. But this person in the administration just called me and told me to do it. You're going to be really likely to do it. This does not exonerate what people who worked at Twitter does. I want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm saying this clearly. I'm not saying, ah, oh, the Twitter people were victims here. They went along with it. They did their part. But I'm much more concerned with people in the government. Why? Because people in the government are really violating, at the very least, the spirit of the First Amendment, and likely more than that. They should not be stepping in in a free speech venue and trying to control speech. That should not ever happen. We should draw up legislation. Republicans should do this in the House. That is, has bright lines saying the government cannot be involved in content moderation, especially when a lot of that content is content critical of them. This is basic, obvious stuff. We, we, we mock the Russian government and the Chinese uh, Communist Party for having a state media. Well, what exactly is the difference here? This taken to ex- as extreme is the same exact thing they're doing in these other places. It's important to grab a hold of this and stop it right now before it goes any farther. All right, you want to buy a home? Well, good luck with that. It's a crazy market. Although prices have come down a little bit, we don't know where prices are going in the future. And I always think that if you're trying to like time a real estate market, usually you're probably going to be on the wrong side. You're probably going to screw it up somehow. Look, find the house you want, get a price you're comfortable with. But how do you make the most of that transaction, whether you're buying or selling a home? It's realestateagentsitrust.com. We're talking about a website that screens through real estate agents for you, so you don't have to go through that whole hassle. You don't have to deal with every little bit of that. You can just go through and uh, find the best agents in your area and, and start with a win. You don't, you don't have to start with question marks. Do I have the best agent? Is this going to go the right way? No, start with a win. Start with picking the perfect agent at realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there. They will uh, just uh, connect you with the best agent in your town, give a little, little basic info, and they'll do the rest. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there now. Check it out. realestateagentsitrust.com. It's free to you. Congress faces a looming government shutdown. Yes, end of the week. That's the deadline. Lawmakers are trying to make a last-minute deal to make this come together. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's going to actually... We're not going to really cross the border here into a government shutdown, I don't think. But there's always some wrangling here at the end. And let's be honest about it. What is the government shutdown? First, the non-essential employees go away, um, which... So you know, when you run a business, you shouldn't have any non-essential employees. If you have a non-essential employee, you're running a terrible business. Of course, like 80% of the government is not essential. So they can do it very easily. Uh, we'll see if any of that happens. I do not expect us to actually get into government shutdown, uh, especially with the Democrats still having control of pretty much everything. Uh, Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass, she won in a very close election, actually, against the Republican. Almost lost almost lost that race, which is remarkable. Even Katy Perry voted for the Republican. Anyway, uh, Karen Bass uh, declares a state of emergency on homelessness during her first day in office. And like, look, I have no expectations that Karen Bass is actually going to do anything about uh, this particular issue. However, you should, we should note that at least she's saying she wants to do something about the homelessness thing. By the way, did you see Karen Bass get uh, uh, sworn into office? It's pretty amazing. 
a pretty incredible thing, mainly because of the cackle put on by Kamala Harris as it was going down. Watch this. According to my best ability. Madam Mayor. <laughs> What's funny about that moment? She just, she's just the mayor. Like, I, now I think it's a joke that she's the mayor. So, I mean, maybe that's what she was going for. I don't, I don't know. I doubt it. Uh, NYPD officers are leaving in droves. Why? Because they can uh, get better pay in smaller towns. They can not risk being defunded in smaller towns. And they usually don't get shot in the streets in smaller towns. So for some reason, they find that job to be preferable. Uh, even though Eric Adams is a former police officer. So make sure you watch that. There's a big story, by the way, in Eric Ad- uh, in the New York Times the other day about Eric Adams and his new policy on homeless people, largely people who uh, are mentally ill. It's pretty fascinating. They're, the left is like, all right, uh, this didn't work. We tried this thing where we just let all the homeless people and mentally ill people out in the street and see what happens. Okay, it didn't work. Let's put them all back in institutions. That seems to be what they're going to attempt here. We'll see how that goes in New York. And Philadelphia is uh, reversing some of their policies as well. If you remember back in 2020, it's the day that we all had our racial reckoning. Yeah, the summer of 2020. And to do that racial reckoning, obviously the main thing we needed to do was cover up statues and boxes. Well... The boxes are coming down now. Philadelphia has to remove their box covering the Christopher Columbus statue. How dumb of a society do we have to be? Ah, the, this statue is suppressing you, so we're going to put a plywood box around it so you don't see it anymore. Even though it's still in there and it's just a statue, if we put a box around it, it won't oppress you. How dumb do you have to be? I will say this about Philadelphia, though. Their football team is 12 and 1. <laughs> 12 and 1. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? All right. Let me talk about something more serious. Roe versus Wade. Not not a not a decision I agreed with at all, as you may know on this program. But, you know, even though it's been overturned, it's still a problem here in America. Uh, abortion is still in most states. Most people can kind of do it whenever they want. In blue states, it's like it's almost like a celebration these days. Preborn does something about this. Preborn introduces mothers to their children, their unborn babies, through an ultrasound. And once they hear that heartbeat, 80 percent of the time they choose life. What a wonderful gift to these mothers, of course, but also, you know, the children, the gift of life. They love and support the mothers afterward as well with maternity clothes, diapers, counseling, and much, much more for up to two years. Preborn is completely dependent on you, so please help. For just 28 bucks, you can rescue a baby's life. For $140, you can rescue five. Isn't that incredible? 100% of your donation will go to, towards saving babies, and they will match your donation right now as well. So don't miss out at this time. Before the end of the year, if you're thinking about tax deductions, this is a great place to go with. Just dial pound 250, say the word baby, pound 250. The keyword is baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com slash stew, preborn.com slash stew. You might be saying to yourself, how do I get a Nancy Pelosi sucks pen? Well, you can't get one. They're all they're all gone. But you can get Nancy Pelosi sucks shirts and Nancy Pelosi sucks mugs, plus all of our other merch. And today is the deadline to guarantee Christmas shipping. So go to stewdoesmerch.com, stewdoesmerch.com. Use the code stew20 while you're there. You can get anything on the site. 
for 20% off and guarantee Christmas shipping. Uh, so you'll make any liberal in your life miserable or any conservative in your life very happy. Once again, it's stewdoesmerch.com. The code is stew20. Get 20% off now at stewdoesmerch.com. Offer applies only to today. Okay, uh, Power Hour is up on YouTube. We can check that out right now if you want to watch it back. It was a lot of fun. Some craziness happened. You'll have to watch it and see. Also, on this program on Friday, our annual holiday tradition, The Christmas Twist, the greatest Christmas movie of all time. You'll see it on this show Friday. Don't miss it. We'll see you tomorrow.